And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. See also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Welcome to St. Bart's. Great to have you with us. If you're visiting for the first time, if you've uh, come back, thank you for coming back. Uh, great to have you back. Um, Advent's a funny season, as in odd, because the world around us, uh, I wanted to put up a Christmas tree on Halloween. I'm one of those guys. My, I took my kids trick-or-treating, and we had the holiday station playing. And uh, I told my son, Thomas, that Perry Como is one of the greatest musicians ever, and he believes it. Bless him. I wish I wasn't so sarcastic at times. But, you know, that's happening. And here we are at church in the Anglican world uh, talking about Advent. And it's, uh, what's fascinating is Advent is obviously the first the four weeks that lead up to Christmas, and it's a season where we talk about darkness in order to appreciate light. Um, and there, one of the darkest times in the history of the West uh, was in the 1700s. It was incredibly dark. And there was a musician, unlike uh, many of his contemporaries, who didn't have a patron and who didn't get paid to play in church. And uh, he, uh, in the span of three weeks in 1741, he, was, he had such an encounter with the Lord Jesus that he locked himself in his study and for 10 hours a day, he put what he heard to paper or parchment or whatever it was. And um, he wrote so quickly that um, the math tells us that he was writing 15 notes a minute. And those of you who've taken piano will know that that's, that's quite a lot. And when he finished, uh, and it was first performed sometime later in Dublin, the people were blown away. In the darkness of that era, the Lord inspire, inspired Handel to pen the Messiah, which today remains the most popular uh, classical music performed in, at Christmas and Easter. And it's just like the Lord, that in times of great darkness, to inspire people in that darkness to bring light. Um, and so today, not today, but earlier in the week, was uh, a, a day that's... Um, well, a big day for our family in that it's St. Cecilia's Day. And St. Cecilia is the patron saint for all musicians and artists and organ builders. I don't know if there are any organ builders here. Kevin, have you ever built an organ? Not yet. One day. But if you're an artist 
or a musician, or if you ever sung in a choir, or have any musical, would you stand? There's a prayer, we're gonna, that's how we're gonna carry on. We're gonna pray. And not any type of instrument from the bagpipes, electric guitar, would you stand? We're gonna pray for you. Come on, that's it. Don't be shy. All right. Any other choir members? That's it, thank you, Irv. Well done. Anyone else? All right, this is the prayer for, church, for musicians and artists. O oh God, whom saints, why don't we just stretch a hand to all these musicians? and artists, we're gonna pray that the Lord inspires them, that they might just take note of what they hear and see, that they might be used by him to bring light and darkness. Does that sound good? All right, let's go. O God, whom saints and angels delight to worship in heaven, be present with your servants who seek through art and music to perfect the praises offered by your people on earth. Grant to them even now glimpses of your beauty and make them worthy at length to behold it, unveiled forevermore. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that the same way that you inspired Bezalel to bring the order of heaven to earth in the tabernacle, that you'd inspire these artists and these musicians to bring the order of, of heaven to the imaginations of everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh man, do be seated. Who knew? Well done, no pressure, but uh, I think this is, if there's ever a time where we need the inspiration of artists and musicians, uh, we're in it, aren't we? Advent, it's, it's the in-between season. It's, uh, as I said, it's odd. It's a season at the, where we recognize the darkness and the readings take on a certain tone. Um, and, you know, I, I was trying to find new ways to talk to Ethan about his verbal reasoning because at 11, he's, he's exceptional at his verbal reasoning. And I just said, would you just soften your tone? And it seemed to work. But it's almost like we want the readings at Advent, we want the tone softened because it seems a bit much because the language is apocalyptic. The language speaks of a crisis a crisis that is happening here on earth. And as the reading says, it's as if the firmament of heaven seems to shake. And on one hand, uh, in Advent, we have the crisis, and we have doom, and then we have deliverance, breakthrough, and hope in the other. It's a season of preparation where we remind ourselves of his first coming, so we can prepare for his second coming. It's a season where we're aware of the injustice and where we, we remind ourselves that our God is the God of justice who has chosen to work in partnership with his people to bring about an end to injustice. It's a season where we remember that we actually have something to share. We may have to earn the right to share it, but we have hope to offer because he has given us hope. It's, it's a season full of simplicity and full of complexity. So let's turn to our passage in Luke, shall we? Luke 21, you have it here. And I'm gonna do something um, 
slightly naughty. I'm going to read it to you again from the message. And I'm sorry, we should probably print them both. But anyway, there we are. This is what it's like in the message. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea, and an uproar, and everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom. The powers that be quaking. And then, then, they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style, a glorious welcome when all the starts to happen. Up on your feet, stand tall with your heads high. Help is on the way. He told them a story, look at the fig tree, or any tree for that matter, when the leaves begin to show, one look tells you that summer is right around the corner. The same here. When you see these things happen, you know God's kingdom is about here. Don't brush this off. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out. My words won't wear out. I am, and I'll admit this, I am not a scholar in terms of end time events. I've done no real research into it. I, it just was never a focus. And I know that there are many in Dallas who are. And so instead of looking at when this might happen or all of that means, there's a, there's a thrust in Advent of what do we do in the time that we have, given the darkness, what do we do with the light that we have? And so in these verses, Jesus foretells the coming of the Son of Man. And he warns them of approaching destruction that actually happened in 70 AD, when the framework of religious life in Israel would be shattered because the temple was destroyed. Jesus turns to a more distant future and foretells his second coming. Okay, and as he begins to talk about himself and he starts to use his favorite title for himself. Do you have a favorite nickname for yourself? Uh, it's rhetorical, I guess, but um, my despised nickname is Davy because I, I, in my mind, I think it would make a good pirate, but I just don't think I could pull it off, right? So I don't like Davy, but I'll respond to my, most everything else. But Jesus uh, takes on his, this title of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, he uses in reference to himself over and over and over again. And the Son of Man was a nickname that brought three things together. The first thing it brings together is this idea of a humble king. A humble king who comes not to address the powers that be, but he comes to address the everyday person. The second thing is he's the suffering servant. He's the one whose death and resurrection will redeem his people. And what's exciting here is that it tells us something about God's standards and what he expects from us. And the first thing is he never expects perfection because he knows it's unachievable. And so his expectation of you is not that you would be perfect. And so maybe for some of us, we need to absolve ourselves of the need to be perfect. 
because the Lord Jesus expects us, instead of perfection, to aim for redemption. That as we get things wrong, that we come to him again and again to be redeemed by what? By his love and given a chance to go in a different direction. But he's also the third thing. So first is he's the humble king. Second, he's the suffering servant. Third is he is the king of glory and judge who will return to establish and fulfill God's kingdom. And here's the thing, is that in the, in the time of Jesus' speaking, the day of judgment wasn't a day to be afraid. It was a good day, because it was a day when the perfect judge would come and make all things right. So that's what's behind his name, the Son of Man, one marked by humility, one who will suffer in order to redeem, who doesn't expect us to be perfect, and one who will come and judge and reverse every wrong and make everything right. And when this happened, it says the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And what's so interesting is that Jesus, when he comes into the world, he does it so humbly, he knocks the religious elite, the church and state, off balance in such a way they begin to act against their own best interest. Isn't that striking? Humility is arresting. It says here that they will see. The second in coming involves a visible return. It will not be like the first coming. Everyone will know something is happening. And there will be things that happen beforehand that herald his return. And when that happens, what we're told to do is to straighten up, to straighten up, to raise our heads, to take on a posture of hope, a posture of confidence. And the question begs, why are we to be hopeful and confident? Well, he's speaking to those of us who've come to the end of ourselves those of us who perhaps are torn up with grief and who are in the grip of crisis, or to use the language of Advent, who are very aware of the darkness and for whom the light seems distant, if on the landscape of our lives at all. And then there was this one verse, I wonder if you caught it in Zechariah. Zechariah 14 verse eight says that when the day that the Son of Man comes to complete the rule of heaven, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the east, half of them to the west, and it will continue in summer as in winter. It's, a power, it's, it's powerful, isn't it? Because we all have memories of last winter when the water did not flow, and then it did, <laughs> and it went everywhere. And some of us work 20 hours a day just to turn the, the water off. But this is language that doesn't speak of winter in Texas. It's language that speaks of something of Eden being restored. And the surprise here of when the second coming comes from the prophet is that Eden will no longer be a garden, but it will be a city. Eden will be a city. Jesus began the work of redemption when he inaugurated his kingdom on earth and he will return to fulfill it. And until then, as we were singing, 
Until then, we're left in the in-between time, partnering with, with Jesus, being led by him, using our words, also indeed, inspired by him to lay down the infrastructure of the kingdom of heaven by sharing his message of hope. If you're new, you may not have seen this, but if you've been coming for a while, you know it's there. We have our, our, um, our vision. It's actually on the front, which is to behold and become. Think about that for a moment. We want to behold Jesus to become like him. We're a church in East Dallas that seeks to do one thing, to connect the people of East Dallas with God and with his people, that as we behold him, we become like him. What would it look like for you, for me, for us as a church to play our part, however big, however small, what would it look like for us to play our part for something of Eden to be restored in Dallas? It will happen on the day he returns. But in the now, we have an opportunity to see the first fruits. And the seeds of Eden are in the places of crisis in our city. We are to be inspired by him. What would it look like to be inspired by him to run to the places of crisis with words of hope? Because Advent is on one hand crisis and on the other hand hope. It's injustice on one hand, justice in the other. It's pain and suffering on one hand, it's healing in the other. It's facing up to things that are wrong with a different way that makes all things right. There's no need for someone to sleep on the streets of Dallas at night when it's cold. The resources and the infrastructure are there. We have hope. All that is needed is to be able to bridge that gap, that relational gap, so that they can trust again. We were watching Home Alone 2. Personally, I prefer it better than the first. And if you've seen it, Kevin has this conversation with the pigeon lady, which is incredible because who would talk to a pigeon lady, but Kevin does. And as they're talking, he says, have you always been alone? And she says, no, I haven't. But my heart was broken. And I found that if I'm not around people anymore, I don't have to worry about my heart ever being broken again. And he says, well, what does that mean for Christmas? And she says, it means that there is no Christmas. And he says, well, I'll be your friend. And that's it. That is the way. It takes our time. It takes a willingness to spend time with people who are different. And if we think about it, we have to admit that we don't have any of the answers to the solutions of these places of deep crisis. And the good news is we don't need them. Because we know the one who does. 
that we can speak to him often and regularly, daily throughout the day, and he will inspire us and lead us to bring about the change that is needed. And so this is what we're doing in the new year. January 20, we're gonna start something that St. Bart's used to do in the summer. We're gonna start the new year in January, 21st of January, you can write it down. We're going to start joint prayer and praise evenings. We're gonna call them, we need a name, so we went with my favorite adverb, deeper. And it's going to be a partnership between the three Anglican Mission churches and others. We're gonna host them here on a Friday evening and we're gonna gather together to pray, to worship him so that we might see something of Eden grow in our city. All we have to do is to behold him, to become like him, that we might connect the people of East Dallas with him and with us, and then we will see his kingdom. It's an utterly simple objective. Yes, sometimes infinitely complex, but it's, it's what we're going to do. That's one of the things we're going to do as we lean into this, that we might see something of the kingdom of heaven increase in Dallas. And we're not gonna count the numbers, because we're not, you know, because it's not about who comes and how many and all that, it's, it's about a move of unity and worship in the city, that we might see a change in the city. But it comes with a warning comes with a warning, and I close with this. I've gone on a bit long. It's, um, Advent is about crisis on one hand. On the other hand, it's about the Son of Man that does come to bring a new basis of hope. And it comes from the heavens. And the heavens in scriptures aren't, isn't a far off place. The heavens mean the place and the domain of God's power. That's where the help comes from. When I hit a problem and I suddenly think, of something going horribly wrong, I say to myself over and over again, we'll figure it out. I say it because I like puzzles, and I have a certain track record going back 18 years of ministry where things have happened and suddenly gone wrong, where we've put a plan together and we've made it through. Does anyone resonate with that? The challenge is I end up having, if I'm not careful, a sense of hope based on my own ability, based on my own strength, and by being able to look back at what I've done and be able to project into the future that all will be okay. During the time of the prophets, when Zechariah and Isaiah, and they were all speaking of the one who would come, the people of God could no longer project a future based on their past experiences with God because they were in exile. What do you do when you can't look back, when the past glories and the past expectations don't offer you hope? Well, this is when Isaiah points to a completely new and an unexpected and an undeserved movement of God from the future where the Son of Man will come and he will establish the ways of heaven here on earth. So this new, unexpected, undeserved Movement of God is for those who recognize that they've come to the end of themselves. It begins when you've come to the end of human potential. Perhaps you can't feel God's presence. Perhaps you never have. 
Perhaps you've continued to cling on to the thought that he's there even though I don't see him. Or perhaps it's the thought that there's no other help than God. What the scriptures tell us is that even when God seems hidden, his power is still operating, whether we recognize it or not. It's from the domain of God's power. It's from the heavens that the breakthrough happens, where the Son of God comes incognito, emptying himself of his glory so that he, Jesus, can bring the reign of his power, the power of heaven, to earth in such a way, so humbly, so lowly, that he knocks the powers that be off their seats, knocks them entirely out of balance. So Advent's about, this season is about stopping and recognizing that things may, for you may be tough, may be grim, and yet the reign of heaven has begun. The Son of Man has come, and today a new and unexpected and undeserved hope has come near to you today with whatever you're facing. The Son of Man has come, and an unexpected and undeserved hope has been offered to you. And Jesus is here by His Spirit even now to comfort, to heal the brokenhearted, and to strengthen the weary. Today, even now, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. His rule and reign has started, and he will return to complete it, and he is inviting this church to play a role in seeing it happen, to lay down the infrastructure of the kingdom of heaven here in East Dallas, to carry on the work that those who've come before us have started, to reach those who don't yet know him, so the entire thrust of these next four weeks is to bring us face to face with reality. Something ultimate has entered our world. Someone ultimate has entered our world and he calls us to attention. He calls us to, out of our daily preoccupations, out of our routine points of view, so that we might see things from his perspective and we might work alongside him. There we are. So we're going to pray. Just before we carry on, we're going to pray before we move to the peace. And I don't know if any of that resonated among you. I know that some here are working through the grips of crisis. I know that in a crowd such like this, some here will be dealing with things they didn't expect in this Thanksgiving season. Maybe the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one. Maybe a sudden reversal in career. Maybe a sudden reversal in fortune. And the news is the Lord is here and he's looking to minister. So we're going to take a moment. We're just going to pray. Um, and then before the service, I was speaking to Rachel and she feels the Lord may have and just inspired her with a word. So Rachel, why don't you come up to the mic? Sometimes the Lord, by His Spirit, gives us a sense of where He's looking to minister into. And so uh, we make room, we, we, we long to, to make room for that. So, Rachel. Morning, friends. Um, last night, I was putting Toby to bed. And um, when we read this this morning, it really resonated about um, nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding. 
of what is coming on the world. And I put him to bed. I placed him in his bed and we did the stories. And I just stepped away and I saw this tiny three-year-old in quite a big bed. And this feeling of fear just welled up within me. And I just suddenly thought, what have we done? Bringing this innocent child, he's a little bit naughty, but innocent child into the world with all the awful stuff. And I, I was just looking at him and just thinking about all the things he's going to have to face, all the difficult questions of all the, that's going on in our culture. And, and I could just almost see it like waves of the sea kind of come, coming crashing. And in my mind's eye, I was just trying to like push the waves away from him of all the complexities that he'll have to, to live through. And, um, and I just, just this fear gripped me in, in that moment. And anyway, I, I just stepped... Um, away and kind of went went to bed and um, and I I was just thinking in bed that those feelings although were very real weren't just mine there was something else going on last night um, and there were thoughts that were not mine Right, they, they, it felt like there was something energizing those thoughts. So I, I just wonder if, if anyone resonates with that, with those times when fear, it, it, it's like it's more than fear. It's like something else is going on. If that's you, I just really recommend going for prayer after the um, during communion and um, in that moment as I was kind of the, the scales between this this fear and this what have we done bringing this child into the world on that side and then the scales of well of, of the light right the scales of the light of Jesus in the darkness so I just wonder if we could just pause for a moment and in your mind, I don't know if you have those, this image of the scales, the light of Jesus on one side of the scales, the truth of his redemption, the truth that he's got this, and then all the crazy fear on the other side. So I, I, I'm just going to pray, and maybe in your mind you could picture that image of the scales and seeing that it, as we, all the scriptures that we read today, the scales aren't even equal. The light of Jesus isn't equal to the darkness. It's so much more. And so I just want to come and bless each one here today with fresh eyes. The Bible talks about the eyes of our heart. I want to bless you today 
and bless the eyes of your heart in this season of Advent to really see the darkness. Be aware of the extra darkness that's energized by the evil one. Be aware of it. See it. But don't give in to it. And may each one here really resonate with that light, that the light of Jesus would shine into every shadow. And would the light of Jesus shine particularly over our children right now? We speak to our children. We speak hope and light into your future. And we particularly pray for the parents and the children's workers who are looking to shine light into darkness. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before we carry on, we're going to do one last thing, which is um, we're going to pray again for all that you do during the working hours of the day. Some of you are small business owners. Some of you... Uh, work uh, more than full-time as parents. Some of you work in theological education. Some, some of you are, well, most of you are, are therapists. <laughs> Based on the conversations we have at coffee in the playground, I know. Uh, and others, you know, do all kinds. And I, I just want to pray that you get, are inspired every day this week. We'll just start with this week to carry the hope that Jesus has brought to us into those places. Should we stand? Let me pray. The kids are about to come in. Why don't we stand? Lord, we, we give to you our week. We give to you all that we do and ask that you would go ahead of us into the week, that we might live every day inspired to take your hope everywhere we go in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.